Welcome to the Continuous Delivery Podcast. My name is Zarar. I'm Cheesy. I'm Kino. And I'm Chubba. And we're in person at, a, at Cheesy's uh, coffee shop, which is called... Au Pondore. Uh, did he say it right, Hino? I know you're the French expert. I, I'm not going to correct him just since he's it. the owner of the uh, shop. Just say it for me. Au Pandore. Au Pandore. Could you say it again, Cheesy? No. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Hino sounded more French, so we're going to give it to him. Uh, and joining us, of course, uh, also is uh, Ardita here sitting to the side without a mic. She looks exhausted. I think she has served a thousand pancakes today. <laughs> Whatever they sell at, what's the place called, Hino? <laughs> It looks like it's going to be a comedy podcast today. <laughs> okay, no, no. We, we do have a topic. We do have a topic. And the topic is um, how do you know you're doing continuous delivery or what is the continuous delivery test? Because if you, if you maybe Google this term up a little bit, sometimes what comes back is, well, every time you commit something, that commit is going to production. Uh, some other people maybe have a looser definition of it. Maybe if you deploy frequently, that's continuous delivery. So in this podcast, we're going to talk about what is the continuous delivery test? How do you know that? What gives you the credentials to say that you're doing continuous delivery? Just to add to the, to the extremes of what I heard continuous delivery once, they, in the moment when the pipeline was automated from DEF to, to UAT, they called that continuous delivery. Hmm. But, but there was... There was still a million steps from the UAT to production, yep. yet this place called it continuous delivery. I, I've kind of heard that definition before as well, where people say continuous delivery and continuous deployment are two different things. Continuous delivery is like we we continue to deliver or to some uh, QA-like environment or some, something that shouldn't exist, and uh, where continuous deployment is where you continue to production, you know, and that, that they make a big distinction. Oh, yes, we're continuing to deliver to QA, so we're doing continuous delivery. So already, so already we've, we've, we've drawn a kind of line in the sand here with Cheesy saying um, the QA environment should not exist. Cheesy, let me put you to the sword right here. Mm-hmm. If you have a QA environment, are you doing continuous delivery? I, I personally don't believe you are, okay? So uh, largely because it, having a QA environment imposes a lot of heaviness on you and, and a lot of brittleness, a lot of unpredictability. And I think that that in, in my definition of continuous delivery or continuous deployment, because they're the same to me, uh, I would not want to tolerate such uh, instability and unpredictability, you know, which, which is what comes with an environment. Especially when you put an environment in the middle, you, uh, you have kind of this extra handoff. And there is like a manual step that you need to, to take in order to uh, move code from that QA environment all the way again, or whichever environment, right? UAT, QA, system testing, name it. Uh, whichever environment to move that to production. I think continuous delivery, you know, the essence of it and you know, what we've been talking about is that you move it to the environment in which it can be used and in which it gives you feedback, whether or not uh, from, the, from the user itself or from the system, uh, the, new, the new functionality basically that you put in place, you get feedback from it. So, but coming back to what, what Zarar said, um, maybe we should start to talk about what are some of the characteristics of continuous delivery, continuous deployment. Chaba, you wanted to chime in? I, I just wanted to add that, that I think we need to make a, a distinction whether is that delivery into a production environment and usable by a user or is it deployed into a production environment, for example, with a feature flag, is it turned off? 
So right? maybe that's where we start with characteristics. Go ahead. Exactly. Cheesy. What, what do you think? Uh, I think that, that I would deploy with... Well, so, yes, I, I think it would have to go in with the featured flags and the majority of the time, and I think the majority of the time, those would be shut off. And, and that's maybe where I'm going to start by defining that just a little bit and what those characteristics look like. For me, uh, I don't want to wait until I have uh, completed an entire feature, which might take a few days, you know, before I integrate and before I pull the code together. And so that kind of implies that I need some sort of a toggle to manage that because I'm going to have smaller changes that won't be complete, but that will be tested thoroughly based on how much is complete, you know, but that, but that, I, that I would want to go. So for me, managing it that way is one of the first characteristics of continuous deployment for me. Right, but it allows you to get that feedback from your system. Did any code changes that I put into production, did that impact my functionality that my users have access to? Do you see anything on the monitoring that suddenly uh, starts slowing down the system or whatever the impact might be, right? So that's the feedback that I've been talking about that is not just the user feedback. Yeah, so so feature flags, uh, I, I guess, is is one thing for sure. I think that that definitely has to be there, um, without without question. I think the short-lived branches is a, is another thing we've talked about many times uh, on here, and the tendency to branch out and keep bran long-running branches is is problematic. So, I think if you have long-running branches, you're just introducing too much risk that you will never be able to do continuous delivery. Because I think there may be even a, a direct relation between the length of your branches and the need for a QA environment. The two are almost like one, one makes the other necessary. But talk about how long. You said long-running branches. Maybe we should get down to very specific. How long is that? And, and yeah, I, I want to elaborate on that as well. But first of all, let's get the definition. I, I'd say no more than a day. I'd say no more than a day branches. Are the, you, you can't be going overnight home and having a branch checked out. It's got to be merged back to trunk. I think I'd say that's a, that, yeah, I, I, if I had to like pick like hardcore rules for continuous delivery, I would pick that one. Why do you need a branch? Hmm? Why do you need a branch? Well, we're getting into semantics now because br branching is just a, a mechanism for the developer to check out code uh, and work on it. How, I mean, or you commit to trunk every time. So. Cool, cool. I'm with you on that one. That's great. I just don't think that's a requirement for continuous. Yeah, you can still consider the local copy that you have as a branch because it lives. It's not the trunk itself. So, I mean, Gitflow is something that that has been around for a while. Although I think it's been bastardized, or I think it's been misinterpreted, because the original folks who put this workflow together, Gitflow, uh, they in their mind, and if you go back and read Obi Fernandez's original document about that, I think it talked about, you know, your branch that exists for a few hours maximum, you know, and, and their primary purpose for that is so that they could delete their changes easy if they wanted to, you know, so that they've got it on a branch, they could just hard delete that and just start over again, you know, but, uh, but again, if, if uh, I, I, I think I'm going to go with Zarar here that I don't think trunk-based development is an absolute requirement, but I think if you're not using trunk-based development, you're adding a lot of risk because you're not integrating rapidly. So, uh, and so uh, although I think you could probably do it 
using branches that are like a, a few hours a maximum a day, I would ask why would you want to do that because it adds additional risk. And I would add that that risk is actually increases by the size of that code base and how many people are making changes, right? So if imagine if you have 50 developers looking in that code base and then you know, we start adding one day, that's literally, literally 50 days of work is is being like in mm-hmm. progress, right? Yeah. So so that, that's I think also team size also matters. There, there, there are a bunch of variables there, I think. That's right. I would as a third attribute or characteristic of continuous de- delivery, I would uh, call out the absence of a manual step to move your code to production. Yeah. Well, does that also... Uh, so this is interesting, okay? Because you said manual step. I agree from the, the, the manual step as in um, you should not have to like do anything to like deploy something or SSH somewhere to deploy or anything, anything like that. That should be happen automatically. But what about this idea of a pre-production check to make sure your stuff is working. Because we mentioned earlier QA. Let me translate that to a pre-production environment. Shouldn't you be checking your change? I see vigorous nods or or, or, or disagreements everywhere here. No pre-production environment. So if you have feature toggles, then there's no need for that because you can literally turn the feature toggle on just for a limited subset. The, The development team, for example for a product person to look at it. So there really is no additional benefit to having a that, that pre-production environment. And there are disadvantages, again, which is that now we've got another environment that probably is not exactly the same as production. And we're trying to build some level of assurance and some level of comfort whenever what we're doing is we're adding risk. The right place to do that verification is in production because guess what? It's identical to your production environment. But one thing, though, and I, I think I think there's a little bit of a hybrid here that I would support as well, and that's not that it's a staging environment, but it's a mirror environment that you might flip um, overnight or whenever makes sense. That that is something that I would still consider continuous delivery. If, however, it's a staging environment that you move through, that is a different story for me. So, so the problem with the blue green that you talked about, where you flip overnight is that you always run into exceptions, and the exceptions spell risk. The exception is, oh, I need to get something out in the next hour. Oh, it's not going to flip to overnight. Okay, well, I need to flip it now. Oh, what else is there? What is not ready? You know, so I think that, that uh, I'm, I'm more and more not comfortable with the whole idea of blue-green either, just because uh, what I've seen is just so many exceptions along the way, you know, unless if you're flipping fairly rapidly, right? Yeah, and I don't see any reason why you would need to wait overnight to flip, right? You might eat just as well flip every hour. Mm. But I also think that it depends where the organization is today. If the organization today is like deploying every two, three months, and for them a blue-green environment is a, is a godsend. Right. right, I'm not talking so, about we're dinosaurs. Not talking about that. We're, we're talking not, about what's a, what qualifies as continuous. Yeah, why would you change the definition of continuous delivery depending on the maturity of the organization? Yep. Uh, fair. Okay, I see what you guys. Okay, fair. Fair. Mm-hmm. I, I was just, I was just trying to to be a bit more more. Permi- I was just trying to be a bit more permissive, in the sense that 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 I think still be considered continuous delivery because of what Hino said that there is still this, this human-less kind of automated way of, of, uh, of going through that. 
I mean, just because somebody goes from deploying every two months to I now deploy to my QA environment every day, <laughs> you know, that, 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 that's not really a step necessarily toward continuous uh, delivery. That's more of a step out of the abyss, you know, and, and, and to nowhere. Yeah, Cheesy's uh, in, good, in fine form, probably high off the bread <laughs> this, uh, in this place here. Uh, so let, let's continue on this theme of testing, right? Because uh, ultimately, just it boils down to that uh, oftentimes, quality and testing. So if, if we, you know, you said blue-green, maybe. Uh, ideally, you should have feature flags. So canary testing. So canary releases to a subset of the population. I feel that I'm gonna I'm gonna put forth that as a as a requirement for continuous delivery. Yep. I I think the ability to do that. Okay. I don't think that you have to do that with every release or every change, but the the ability to do that is so powerful for for your product folks to be able to uh, to to test things out. And and if you think about it, realistically. That, that, that same capability that allows you to do that is the capability that allows you to run experiments, right? It's about being able to direct a small percentage or some percentage of your users to a specific version of the code that's out there. So Let me pull on that a little bit. Sorry, was it? Sorry, Chaba, go I ahead. I just wanted to add that that I, I, I agree with Cheesy that not all change created equal. So, for example, if you talk about, let's say, a bank... You don't really want to canary release a financial transaction necessarily, but if you talk about an address change, maybe that's okay to to put this in, right? So, so this is one of those one of those things is that that there is a very very small portion of your of your changes that you cannot do that. So, so there's always some exceptions that you have to be you have to have some ability to test different. Yeah, your your changes have a risk profile, right? And what you want to do is you want to make sure that you bring that risk down as much as you possibly can. But there will always will be things that you would want to scrutinize extra. So, uh, I forgot what I was going to say completely. Oh, yeah, I got it, I got it, I got it, I got it, I got it. So, you mentioned experiments, right? And uh, you've often talked about sort of your backlog being driven by the learnings from your experiments, right? And how that's often a far cry in a lot of orgs, uh, where that, that's almost fantasy, where you, people have already kind of made up their mind on what they're going to do for the next, I don't know, four months, six months, year sometimes. Uh, and on the other side of the spectrum is, well, you should have a very slim backlog and it should only be populated based on the results of your A-B tests or experiments. Where, do we, where are we on that spectrum? What, what should... Um, we, we, like if one end is experiment-driven backlog and the other is we know what we're going to deliver for the next six months... Where on the spectrum do you need to be to call yourself continuous delivery? I guess I could go first if, if you guys are okay with this. Um, for me, there are a lot of different benefits that an organization might get from going to continuous delivery. Some of them are lower risk software development, happier employees. you know. And, and if your goals are, are those things, that's fine as well. But I, but I personally find one of the biggest benefits is the ability to not deliver the wrong thing and to really try to deliver the right thing. And uh, to elaborate on that just a bit, uh, we have now decades of data and, 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 and information that shows that a lot of what's delivered is not what the user really needs or what they wanted necessarily. You know, and, and so 
how do we not deliver that and how do we focus in on delivering the right thing and i personally believe experimentation is the path toward that so uh so do you have to do that for continuous delivery no i I, i'm going to say that you don't have to do that but i'm like i said there could be another motivation for you to want to do it but i think it is a huge huge benefit if you've gone all the way to be able to do continuous delivery why would you not want to do that yeah, so I agree as well. If you, on one side, you have the, the, the experiment backlog, the other side, you have the backlog with work for six months, it doesn't matter which situation you, can, you are in, you can do continuous delivery. What I would say, though, is if you do continuous delivery, you might do those experiments. You are enabled to do those experiments, as, as Cheesy has mentioned. And you might not be if you're not doing continuous delivery. You might not have that ability. You might not have that possibility. So what, I, what I've seen is that if you get that feedback, it is, it is very, 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 very high chance that your priorities will change. So if you know that your priorities are changing, then why would you want to have six months of backlog? Right? I mean, nobody's stopping you to have some ideas like in your but your backlog. priorities don't change that much. Well, in, a, in, in an org, I, I don't think you go from week to week with changing priorities. Uh, that, that's a, one of those questions is what does it mean priority? What's, it, what's in your backlog? What's the level of detail in the backlog? So there's so many questions here that I, I don't know if you can answer actually. So, so, but, but we are in alignment that not necessarily needed for continuous delivery, but the benefits are big. It, and, and let me uh, just add, tack on one more piece. Yes, absolutely. I think we are in alignment with that. But let me just tack on one more piece. Usually organizations that, that do that experimentation, they're not focused on backlogs. They're focused on outcomes. And those are the things that, that – and that's the real difference. And I think, and I think one, one thing is that we've seen, we've seen in, our, in, our, in our coaching career probably that sometimes teams are held hostage by their backlog in a way that because they think that we have to go through this backlog, they almost like, like stop thinking about what actually do we need. I, had just, I just had with one team, like a, a planning, actually asked them, what do you guys think are the priorities? What should, what should be your sprint goal without looking at your backlog? You know what was interesting? 75% of the items that they thought it's important for to do with this sprint wasn't in their backlog. But again, and I don't, I don't necessarily agree. That's definitely happening, but it's not necessarily a problem related to continuous delivery. That problem is, yes, sits elsewhere. Sorry, yes, yes. But, but just, yes, exactly. We, we, we will all probably agree that continuous delivery results in happier teams. And that's sometimes like when people talk about like organizational culture and attracting talent. I, I find that we don't um, advertise the benefits of continuous delivery enough. So any comments on how continuous delivery leads to happier teams? Basically seeing the results of your work and having that immediate feedback. That is, that is really what it's... You, you have an impact on the outcome of what you're working on. And that alone uh, is, is giving you positive responses and those positive responses lead, leads to uh, more ownership and that ownership leads to uh, more bonding within your team and all of that leads to a more healthy team dynamic. I can I, I completely agree, you know. I think there's another aspect as well, and uh, some might not view this as, as a good thing, I guess. But in not everybody can thrive in a continuous delivery environment. And uh, the lone wolf, the cowboy coder, 
they will get called out okay. and and uh, singled out fairly quickly. And so what I find is that that teams that stick with it and that do this for a while, it tends to be people who are highly collaborative, people who like really enjoy working with others, step in to back each other up, you know, and and that they really feel almost like that family away from home to a certain degree, you know, Mm -hmm. because of how closely they have to work together. And, and, and for those the people that thrive on that, that that's something that they really appreciate, something that they enjoy a lot. And, and, I would just add one, one like one human aspect, which is, which is what Hino was touching on. But I think the 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 change that we make, let's say if I make, change a code that that's going to be in production at one point, the the closer to the point where I made this change, I think I think the the more the satisfaction quote unquote because I used to be a developer. I remember working in organization and like three or or four months later, my code was in production. I didn't even actually remember what what change I made. Right, it almost becomes becomes uh, so so out of touch of this of, of of this flow of this process. While I worked in an environment that was very quick turnaround, and literally seeing and logging production and seeing your change, it's like wow, yeah. It's so so this this I, I I can't I don't even know how to describe it actually, but but maybe just just this kind of feedback loop to Hino's point, and 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 being close to our ourself or or what we do, our purpose. I mean, maybe a purpose if you go for yeah. for. Uh, for Daniel Pink's book, right? So I'll, I'll piggyback on that uh, feedback point that you raised, and, I, and I'll say another requirement for continuous delivery might be observability of your software in production. And not just, I have the ability to look at logs in production, but more like your, your code base is instrumented in a way where when any sort of event happens, there's sensitivity in your monitoring tool to alert you right away and say, this maybe is higher priority than what you are working on right now. So to Chaba's point about the feedback loop, I'd say extremely good observability in production, I'd, I'd put forth as a baseline requirement for it. I would tend to agree. Uh, uh, what, what I have seen is that companies who push toward uh, continuous delivery, they realize, I, I've seen companies that have realized that they have a gap in that space and, and realize that they need to really hurry up to try to fill that in, you know, buying tools, setting it up, going back, reorchestrating code that exists already. Absolutely. I mean, if, if you can't see, again, what, what it really is, what, what you're talking about is risk mitigation, you know, and, and so I think that it goes hand in hand. In fact, one of the reasons why I believe continuous delivery is such a, a great way to deliver software is that we have to drive risk out of the system in order to be able to deploy so frequently. This is a great example of that. And uh, and I think there are a lot of other things. Like if, if you go right back to it, trunk-based development is about driving risk out of the system. You know, canary release is about driving risk out of the system. Pipelines is about driving risk out of the system. So all of these things are getting rid of environments are about driving risk out of the system. It's about making it simple, easy, and safe to put code in front of users continuously. I mean, let's round off one more topic, our favorite topic probably that comes up on this podcast the most, which is testing. And um, let's talk a little bit about, you know, we can talk about testing and shifting it all the way down over to the left and making sure nothing, everything is happening on localhost. What is your view of, um, of the, the, the baseline testing strategy or approach your team should have for you to call yourself continuous delivery? Like some, some key things that 
answer this question almost in a checklist form where you must have this in order to be CD? I, I think it's just one, one single item for the checklist. Developer must be able to test everything on their own machine. The environment has to be uh, complete enough, plus with some additional mocks perhaps, and, and which, which is unnecessary, because if that's not possible, then you will need a test environment. Then you will, then you will go down that path. So I think that's the one and only, at least from, for so me. So everything on sort of local host to test, you know? I have two, and one is unit tests. Everyone agrees with that one, I would assume, and the other one would be a smoke test. Cheesy? Uh, I think I have two as well. Number one, whatever tests you have, they must be very fast, because I would not want to wait very long before I know that I made a mistake, number one. And number two, it needs to be such that the team has no fear. Yeah, I agree. And, and, and to testing, I'll also add that uh, I, I think your tests, and maybe this is not a hard requirement, but I think your tests should also serve as the documentation for your system. Uh, and uh, and oftentimes, like, you, you, you have seen I mean, a, a lot of open source repos um, that you look at have excellent test suites. But they sometimes are kind of difficult. They're organized in a way where you can't really tell what the system does by looking at the tests. And I think as you are, you know, hiring more people and onboarding people and you want them to acclimate to your code base, it'd be nice if we have uh, tests that actually reflect the behavior of the system. And I know people have tried this with BDD and Cucumber and, and whatever, all that stuff. <coughs> but I still feel like it's, it's an unsolved problem. Uh, I, I, think, I think it remains something that we haven't addressed as an industry, uh, making our tests. It requires continuous investment for that to be possible, right? And that's, that's really what that is. It's, it's, not, it's not something that you do once and then it, it, it works. You need to continuously restructure your code, continuously restructure your tests and all of that stuff. And I would add just one more thing, Zaradan. It's not enough that your tests are expressive, to, to, to Hino's point. The accompanying code has to be expressive, right? So accompanying APIs or accompanying methods have to be also expressive, right? Yeah. So because if your the tests are expressive but your code is convoluted, then you, you're still having the same, okay. same situation. Same if you, uh, is it possible to do continuous delivery if you have Jira installed? <laughs> That's our next topic. That's our next topic. Okay, thank you, everybody, for... Uh, who am I thanking, actually? Just you three. Okay, yeah, yeah. Thanks for coming out to, uh, what's, that, what's the place called? Au Plain Doré. Oh, nice. I feel like watching a Woody Allen movie now. <laughs> okay. Uh, thank you, listener. We'll see you again next week. Goodbye.